Order up! Stop! Waiting Tables. Hello there. I'm Alex Curtis, and this is Stop Waiting Tables, the podcast where I interview artists of all kinds about making art and making a living. Through these interviews, I'm looking to uncover the tools and tactics that artists can use to create their own success rather than waiting around for success to find them. The questions are, how do we, as creative people, create more artistic opportunities for ourselves, make meaningful money, foster meaningful relationships, and be happy right now without waiting around and hoping that we get discovered. How do we set a happy life, a happy, creative, fulfilling life as our baseline existence so that we're good no matter what happens to us? That's the question. And that brings me to our guest today, Bruna Mebs. Bruna Mebs began her career as a costume designer for film and then decided that that life actually was not the thing that she was hoping it would be and switched and now is a very, very successful illustrator. In this interview, we talk about what her experience was like as a costume designer, what the training was like, how the reality of a life as a costume designer was different than what she expected it to be. We talk about how she redefined herself as an illustrator. And something that I think Bruna does exceptionally well is that she really does think about her art as a business. And so we get into the tools that she used to do that, the books that were most helpful in helping her understand uh, how she could go about making that happen. And we get into what her dreams are for the next stage in her career. So it's a really exciting conversation, and I'm super happy to share it with you. Also, as a side note, I've been getting some flack from my friends that the episodes of this show are too damn long uh, and that they have been intimidating to get through. So I spent an extra long time on this episode editing down our conversation into a bite-size hour-long episode. So it is all good stuff. So I do hope that you enjoy it and that you can get all the way through till the end. Bruna has so much to share. So please enjoy. Without further ado, here she is, Bruna Mebs. Thank you so much for being on the show. Thanks for having me. So you're currently an illustrator, but before you really took yourself up as uh, an illustrator, you were originally going into costume design, mm-hmm. and you went to the FIT, the what is it? What is that? Fashion Institute of Technology. Of Technology. Okay. So, what was the initial inspiration to go to fashion school and to study costume design? Yeah, I think it always started with, which I think starts with a lot of teenagers. Your way to self-express is through your clothes because that's all you are able to have freedom to do, right? Like your parents don't allow you to do much else than just dress yourself however you want. So that was my outlet to do self-expression and to be creative, I guess. And I think I combined that with I was really passionate about history and I used to watch all kinds of history movies, and obviously the costumes are a huge part of that. So I think connecting both things automatically made me think that that was what I wanted to do. So then you decide that when it's time to go to college, you're going to fashion school. And what's fashion school like? Pretty much a combination of planning how you want the clothes to look like and making the clothes. So even though 
as a real fashion designer when you're working, you're not as much making the clothes yourself. The school really wants you to learn what goes behind the process. So from color theory to fabrics and sewing techniques and pattern making and model drawing and photography of products and measuring things. It's really incorporates the whole thing, but the classes were pretty much divided. Even in the last year, you have to decide if you want to go into specialization into the art specialization or the sewing specialization. And I obviously chose the art side. So you do get a lot of art classes as well. Now, why are those different? They're different mostly because they're two very hard things to be good at. And I think a lot of some people in school will know if they want to get a job and be more into, for example, let's say you work for a big fashion brand, their jobs are going to be the director of how the sewing process works. So you're going to get the fabric samples and you're going to create the first piece. And then you actually, you're going to be responsible for telling the people that are actually making the clothes, how you want the button, if you want a little higher, a little lower. And the people that are actually doing the drawing side, which is, it doesn't happen as often nowadays because everything's in the computer. And, but originally the fashion designers that were actually sketching all of their pieces don't always necessarily know how to sew. So not, and at the same time, not all fashion designers can draw. So it's important that you know which side you're better at. So it's just easier for you to get a job once you're done with school. And is one of those considered higher level than the other? Like, yes. <laughs> would the, is the drawing person like the big boss and mm -hmm. then the sewing person is the next level? Exactly. And I think it's just, it's not necessarily how it works in the actual job, but there is this idea that the people that can draw are the ones actually like calling the shots kind of thing. But also... Fashion school still has a really old-fashioned way of teaching fashion design, which is like how it was all before computers and things like that, which nowadays when you actually go into practice, the actual drawing part is very small. And is that, did you find that that was useful that they taught the old way because it reinforced some sort of basic principles or did that feel more like out of touch insofar as then you graduate in the thing, the skills that you've been practicing aren't actually relevant to the way that the work is really being done. Yeah, for me, it's a little different because I didn't actually work in the fashion industry afterwards, but I heard from all of my friends that the school was definitely didn't prepare them enough for the real world. So I guess in their point of view, school should have been more updated. But for me, because I went to costume design, costume design is actually an industry that it's still not that developed in when it comes to technology. So it actually helped me a lot because when I used to show my ideas to art um, directors or just directors and producers, I actually had to draw. So that actually helped me and the sewing part too, because in costumes you still make a lot of this stuff last minute. Yeah. So for me, actually it was a great education, even though it wasn't meant to be for that. Right. So they weren't trying to teach you to be a costume designer. You were studying fashion the same way that you would if you were going to go work for one of the major designers. And then you were just choosing to apply that to 
costume design. Yeah, and even though I, w- I would tell my teachers that I wanted to go into costume, they always actually, they didn't like that. They see costume, fashion people see costume as kind of like not as high quality. Yeah, it's a so lesser they, art. Exactly. So they used to force me to do the fashion projects and I would like not do it <laughs> that way. And they would, it was it drove me into a lot of like difficult situations in school. I wasn't like... My teachers all knew me because of the girl that doesn't do what she's been <laughs> told to do. Oh, wow. So you're the fashion design rebel. Yeah, it was definitely, you know, and it wasn't even that I was trying to just be different. I just didn't want to waste my education. So I'll try as much as possible, cater the projects to costume. And some teachers were okay with it, but some definitely gave me a really hard time. I get it from their perspective, but at the same time, it's all clothes, you know. Right, totally. So circling back around to the thing you were saying about your friends who did go into fashion being frustrated that they weren't prepared, um, one of the goals that I have for this podcast as it goes on is that, you know, people who are not, so it's, it's on the one hand, this is for people who are already working in the arts. But on the other hand, I, I want people who are aspiring artists or are in training um, to have an idea of sort of what they're in for and how they can set themselves up for success. So in that vein, what are some of the skills that you would have wished were included in the fashion school that weren't, um, or that some of the skills that your friends wish that they had known that when they got out of school, uh, they felt underprepared for? Yeah, I think what's missing in most art schools, considering all kinds of art, graphic design to fashion to illustration, it's the business side. I think School could definitely do a better job at having those kinds of finances type of classes, maybe some sort of administrative marketing. We don't learn any of that kind of thing uh, in most art schools. There's no how to market yourself, how to get your work out there, how to get known or how to deal with advertising or finances or anything like that. And I think they're still focused on making you just be good at your craft that they don't realize the craft isn't enough. And then most people when leave school feel pretty lost. Okay. Now I I have a portfolio and then what? Right. Yeah. No, that's something that's a frustration that I had coming out of acting school also. Um, Although the one thing that they gave us coming out of acting school was that you had a a showcase. So uh, you had a performance you did in New York and L.A. that a bunch of industry professionals come to mm-hmm. and they, that it's a chance to like, get first exposure to casting directors and agents and, and, you know, to get that first job or to get that first, you know, representative. Um, so at least we had we had an illusion of, well, this is going to get us started. Mm-hmm. Um, it's a complaint of mine feeling like. That was an opportunity still that I wasn't as prepared for as I wish I were. You know, if I had any of the meetings I had coming out of graduate school again and now, I feel like I'd be so much more prepared to talk about myself and to understand what they care about and, you know, to help figure out that match. But, you know, coming out, I was just kind of like, I don't know. I'm the figure. I can act. I swear. (laughs) You know, it was it was Mm -hmm. very skin of my teeth. Um but there was at least the idea of something that was like going to launch you into the the universe and into the industry. Was there anything like that in coming out of fashion school? Like what was the was there supposed to be a pipeline from school into work or was it really just schools over go figure it out? 
No, we actually had a what they call like you release your collection in the end of your specialization. So whoever chose sewing will have to present a dress, and whoever chose art would show a portfolio of sketches. And it's kind of the same thing that um, people from the industry supposed are supposed to come and look at your portfolio or whatever. But honestly, I haven't heard of anyone that ever just got a job straight out of showing those simple sketches. That is not even close to enough of um, information for somebody to just want to hire you. There are a lot of creative people out there. It's not just because you created a beautiful dress that it's enough that we want you now, you know? Right. So I even, and it's, we are so focused on getting that done in the last semester and so focused on getting good grades, I think that we think that would be enough, but, and maybe school think that used to be that way, but nowadays so many people graduate every semester. There's just no way that people in the industry can hire that many designers just out of a portfolio view. That's something, um, not to get uh, suddenly too personal, but that's something I'm actually working through sort of on my own in therapy is uh, that shock of, going from sort of the like the model that you grew up in and that you went through school with where like well I work really hard and I get A's and that's success and it's all that clear cut so if you're in that last semester and you're working hard to get good grades and to do your project when you're in that frame of mind you think well that means I'm going to be successful when this is over but actually like as soon as school ends the rules completely change and that A doesn't mean anything necessarily I mean, hopefully you learned something as you were doing those projects and getting that A that translates, but it's no longer as like clear and direct an A to B path. No, definitely. And I don't, I honestly don't even think that your grades really reflect the quality of what you did. I, so many people that I've seen graduate with really good grades, I remember didn't have a good ethic, like a working ethic or their work were and. Um, even close to as good as so many other people, but school also have different levels of why the grade is what it is, and it counts so many other things that are not part of how good of a designer you can be. That it's hard. Like I was one of those people. Like I had straight A's and everything. I was like fight the Takapa like graduate. I had a minor in art history, and I thought it was like as long as I keep doing all this stuff and getting all this stuff that's gonna be enough and it was definitely nobody ever asked me my grades or barely the school that I went to when I was working as a costume designer yeah so the you can talk about yourself or or your friends with this next question because the people who did get work coming out of school um, what were they doing that set them apart or helped them that helped them get that sort of first job Honestly, the people that I know that got jobs right away were people that had connections. And was that connections that they'd cultivated through school? Like a guest came and they befriended a guest and having that kind of a connection? Or like they came from a fashion family sort of a deal? No, I think there were more like people that were already living in the city and knew somebody that knew somebody. Got it. So it was re- it was all referrals. Like, mm-hmm. got and it. I think that's pretty much enough to get your foot started because you're just starting as an intern and you're doing a bunch of things that the company not putting that much at risk by letting you in but it's definitely at least from that i can remember um that's how most people got started 
Yeah. Even for me, it was that way with okay. costumes. Yeah. So you did you did exactly what you set out to do. You got your degree and then you started working in costume design. And actually, I was just checking out your IMDb page. Uh, you did a lot. You're doing. <laughs> I mean, at least you you can tell me what the experience of that was like. But looking at your IMDb, it looks like you're really killing it. Um, what what did you discover the reality of being a costume designer was like, and how did that how did that how was that different than what you were imagining ahead of time? Yeah, in the beginning, it was, you know, I was so excited to do it, and every opportunity that I had, I wasn't really sure if they're all going to be the same. So I just kept thinking, oh, the beginning looks like this, the beginning looks like this, but once I actually make it, will be better. When I make it, will be better. Coming from fashion design school, I didn't really know what to expect, but I'm thinking that I'm going to be sketching and going through research and just trying to be creative with my ideas and presenting those ideas to a director to get the vision of whatever the, the movie or TV show, whatever I'm designing at the moment is. And I didn't really, I guess, knew enough about the industry to know how it works to create an entire film and I was just thinking that as a costume designer, I'm just responsible cr- for creating the clothes in a creative way. Yeah, the, you're, you're the ideas person. And then there's like going to be a PA or something that actually like the same way there wasn't fashion school, like someone else would make it or, or buy yeah, it. Yeah, like or, a team. Yeah, like yeah. A, you know, and even though you do a little bit of that, that it's probably 10% of what you're doing. And the majority of your time, you're really just either trying to make the actors happy the producers happy trying to stay on budget trying to make sure that things are dry cleaned for the next day shoe trying to make sure that you have you know five of the same dresses instead of one or trying to make sure that something looks i don't know dirty enough bloody enough ready to you know be shot the next day you need to make sure that your actors are um comfortable when you have let's say um, robes and warm socks and if it's cold that they have you know a jacket is on standby it's just so much logistics that you need to be aware of in such a little amount of time with such a little budget with such a small team that your creativity it's really just the cherry on top and you don't even always get to do anything that different um, and obviously the main idea still comes from the director and you still need to accommodate what the actors have in mind so it was just a lot more um administrative work than i expected and a lot less being creative especially the bigger the budget the i felt even less creative because there was so much that needed to be checked and like so many people that you needed to please that it was even harder to feel free to do whatever you want. So I think over the years and with every project, I started to realize that this isn't because of it's the beginning of my career. This is just how the industry works. And on top of that, being traveling so much and never be able to have a regular routine or regular life um, just really got to me. I understand a lot of these frustrations um, in terms of not having a base and that it sounds like it sounds like the th- like the thrill of 
being the costume designer on a set is almost more the high that you get from like being a good problem solver than it is from you know having the the grandiose vision yeah like the day of the premiere is the day of you happy, you know, that's it. <laughs> right. I guess the one thing I want to be careful of is I don't want to make it sound like, you know, costume designing on a set is a terrible job and no one would want it. Oh, yeah, so, no, definitely. It's a, I so, love doing it, to be honest. Right. It was, I had a lot of fun and it was still my dream career. It's just, I think there are people that would do a better job than I was doing because they like that part more. Who's the person who would love that job? And who's the person who shouldn't look at that job? Yeah. So if you're a people's person, if you like to be around a group of people at all times, and you like to socialize, and you like to not be confining to a house or an apartment, and you want to be always moving around and seeing new places and experiencing new locations and meeting new people and you thrive on things being thrown at you a last minute and you like to help everybody make everything work for one big goal costume design you would have a lot of fun and you probably feel very successful at it because it's definitely a, a fulfilling career when you get to see something you did on a big screen and you know, it's definitely uh, a job that you can go really high into. You can win an Oscar, <laughs> you know. So it's definitely a job that you can get you in a lot of places. And it's not that hard if you work hard to become known. It's definitely not as hard as art. But if you are, like me, somebody that likes to be on their own, that wants to actually be lost in their own ideas and creativities and researching and you like to work on your own more than with other people and like to have a space to do your creative work instead of being thrown at hotels at all times. And I always thought that I wanted to travel when I actually had to be away from home for so long, I realized that I don't. <laughs> so a lot of this stuff you probably will figure out as you are doing it. But definitely, I couldn't see myself doing it for another 10 years. Right. It's even, it's still, it's a different kind of travel. I mean, it's not like, if you like to go on vacations, then you'll mm -hmm. love to be a costume designer, you know, because it's, you're working. Yeah. And you could, at least, you know, I'm sure that there are times when you could be in a really cool place, but like, you're always filming in the dark, dingy alley, so you don't really, like, see the rest of the city or something. Exactly. And on top of that, it's not like you're staying on, you know, five-star hotels and just enjoying the best of the food and everything. Like, you don't have a kitchen most of the times. You're in, like, very difficult locations because most films nowadays are trying to save as much as possible. So they're going to put the majority of the crew just a regular hotel where you don't have a kitchen and you're actually just eating, you know, takeout. And um, it's definitely not going on vacation. You right. don't, you get a few days off, but it's not even that many. And you're probably so tired on those days off from working 14, 16 hours a day that you're probably not going to do much anyway. Right. But I do. And I also do think the younger you are, the more appealing that all sounds. And then, <laughs> the older you get, you're starting to realize that you want to sleep in your bed, you know. Right. 
And that's something actually I'm also curious about in terms of schedule. Um, I've got a buddy of mine who works on the crew of Orange is the New Black. Mm -hmm. And I hear that if you're shooting a show like that, you work insane hours for like nine months where basically you have no social life. You're there all the time. But you're also making tons of money and you can't spend any of it because you've got no time to spend it. And then you get like three months off so that then, you know, these people will like all of a sudden then go on like a three month vacation where they just ski and party and, you know, do all that crazy stuff uh, and then come back and like have to work like nuts for another nine months. Was that sort of the rhythm of like intensive on and then a long time off? Yeah, I think if you're lucky to get into a TV show that has a bunch of seasons, you'll have a little bit of a, something stable that you at least you know when the next season's coming and you can actually take the time off. But in my case, I work mostly in film, so there is no continuation. So as soon as you're done, the stress of when am I having the next one, it hits right away. Right. So it's so hard to enjoy that period that you're off because you're so worried when the next one's coming. Right. And whenever that one comes, sometimes it's a week after the next, you know, your previous one. And sometimes it's who knows. So you can't even say no to the first one that comes. Right. It's so, it's it's a classic. It's the freelance life uh, exactly. of just like, oh, no, if I if I stop working, you know, then I can't pay rent. Exactly. And the days were really long, especially for costumes, because we had to do laundry for the next day. So the shoe itself is 12 hours. You have to be there usually at least half an hour early because you want to get everything set up. And a lot of times the crew for costumes, it's called even before the regular crew, because you have to dress up sometimes a lot of background people. And those people get there before the actual talent. So you have to be there even earlier. So I was easily working 14, 15, 16 hours a day, plus the travel to the location. Right. And I imagine that and you were based in Pennsylvania the whole time. Although, I mean, I, I guess that doesn't. Actually, no. Okay, no. <laughs> um, I lived in PA when I was going to FIT. So I commuted from PA to FIT. Then as soon as I was done, we moved to L.A. because we just figured that's where I should have been if I want to work in the industry, which ended up me never actually staying in L.A. and just traveling everywhere, um, including Pennsylvania, okay. <laughs> to do movies. So then we came back because my husband was like, you know, I, there's no reason for me not to be at my job then if you're going to be traveling anyway. So then we moved back to P.A. so he can go back to his job, and then I kept just traveling, um, mostly to New York because it's not that far right. from where we are at. But I honestly feel like I've lived everywhere. Like I was in Cape Cod for like eight months. I was I lived in Queens for like nine months. So this, this, I probably worked in costumes for a period of five to six years, and I don't remember being home more than two months in a row. Wow. Yeah. Uh, and how long did it take you coming out of school to actually start making a living doing costume design? Uh, I would say a year. I was doing a lot of low budget stuff in the beginning that I don't think I could consider making a living, even though I was considered working full time. So I think it took at least a year to two years to actually say that I was making enough money. Got it. 
And during that time, was it just that your husband was able to cover the gaps or did you have a second hustle going at that time? No, it's pretty much him because uh, I was working pretty much full time, but I would just take anything. I would take student films. I was taking, you know, anything that come came like people just creating their own movies that didn't have a budget for it. But I didn't have time to do something on the side. Yeah. Uh, before we change gears and move on from talking about the costume design life, uh, what was the thing you designed that you're proudest of? Oh, that's such a difficult question. I don't know if I ever stopped to think about that. Hmm. I think it's funny, but I think the one that I'm most proud is this student film that I did in, when I was in LA about it's like it was a true story and it was about this guy that was a journalist in the 70s in Brazil and that was actually with a Brazilian director so we had a lot of fun and it was a story that I wanted to tell to the world so I would say that that one's the most um project that I would say I'm mostly proud it's called Vlado it's a short film and that one of few awards and everything so it was a really um, proud moment for me just because i think was i was also telling a story that was close to home oh we'll have to i'll have to go take a look for that and so after your your stint as a costume designer you figure out that this isn't actually the lifestyle that you want so how did you start figuring out for yourself what your next step might be what happened was i was doing really well with costume design to the point that I got offered um, to be represented by an agent. Ooh, congratulations. That <laughs> when that happened, I had to sign a contract. It was kind of, I was already kind of in the limit of not sure if that's what I want to continue to do. At the same time, I had a friend from college that was working for a fashion company that needed a few sketches. And she asked me to do those sketches for her. So I realized that there was something else that I could do that you can get paid doing. So I did that project for her at the exact same time frame that I was being asked to uh, work with this agent. So I kind of got to, I had, I felt like I had to make a decision at that point if I wanted to continue or not, because I had to sign a contract with that person. And that person was working so hard to get me work that I didn't want to be a foot in and a foot out. And I felt like it was wrong to her to say yes, if I wasn't sure that that's what I wanted to do. Right. You don't want to waste her time. Exactly. So I told myself that I'll give myself an entire year to try to do illustration and see if that could get anywhere. And if it didn't, then I'll go back to costume. And now, when you say doing illustration, do you mean fashion illustration in the way that you were sort of learning to do it in school? No. Okay, because uh, that first contract was a fashion illustration, right? Or or did I, yes. did I misunderstand that story? So that project for my friend from college, they already had the dresses made. They just needed the... Uh, illustrations of the dresses to use it as an advertising for uh, I think was their lookbook oh so that wasn't even for part of the design process that was uh it was like you said advertising yes so that was already what I considered 
you know, illustration um, for something, for a company or whatever. You're not part of the design. You're just illustrating something that already exists. Um, so that's why it kind of opened up my eyes. So there is this industry, which honestly, I didn't really know much about it. Even when I decided to do it, I, thinking back, I didn't know anything about it. So when you're saying that you discovered that there was this other universe, does that mean like in... Like in advertising illustration, uh, what was the what was the light bulb that went off? It mostly when the main thing that I think went off when I got that small project was oh people would pay me for a drawing, meaning I can draw good enough to do something with it. And even though I didn't know much about it, I looked it around me and I said, oh, people use drawings into packages. People use drawings into fabric patterns. There are drawings being used for things. So there got to be people doing this as a career, as a job. Yeah, there's, and, <laughs> there has to be a market for people who want me to draw stuff. Exactly. Even And I always heard, because I grew up drawing as a, more of a hobby, something that I like to do because my grandmother was an art teacher so I always drew and a lot of friends would always say like, oh, can you draw my dog? Can you draw my house or whatever? And I started to think at least I can do those kinds of commissions. Sure, I'll I, draw your dog. I'll draw exactly. your house. Okay. <laughs> um, and I took that when I decided to take that year, I bought every single book or anything I could ha- put my hands on that said drawing, illustration, get paid, whatever. It's to figure out what the industry actually was because I didn't know about it. I thought it was just the, all the awards was fine artists, you know. And I always heard that people were saying, like, you can't make money out of being an artist. And I just thought because all you can do is just be a fine artist. That's right. probably why it's hard. I didn't know people can pay you to do something for an advertising, for example. That's a really great distinction to make because, yeah, that's that idea is something that's thrown around all the time. You can you can go be Picasso, but you'll never get paid. And, and it's just, you mm-hmm. know, it's never going to go anywhere. But that there's there's so many ways to use art. Um, mm-hmm. I, I don't know the statistic off the top of my head, but I remember being surprised when I heard about you know like how much art that's being created is like in advertising and in digital media. Mm-hmm. The commercial world still represents itself through images, and those images are made by artists, whether they're graphic designers or photographers or illustrators or animators. It's still coming from somewhere, and those people had an arts background. Exactly, and I think it's just growing, too. So when you were figuring it out, were there any books that were most helpful for the illustrators out there who are looking to to figure it out for themselves? Yes, luckily I'm looking at my bookshelf. Oh, thank God. I'm so glad. (laughs) Um, One is called Art Inc. by Lisa Condon. She's an artist, and she really breaks down all the basics that you need to do to start making a living from your art. Um, that's a really good book. There's also one called Creative Inc. that talks about the whole creative field in general, and they have interviews with people already in the industry that gives you advice. Those definitely, I remember, were one of the first ones that I found. Currently, there's one called How to Sell Your Art Online mm-hmm. by Corey Huff. And the, I only found this book recently, but if I have found that book years ago it would have been very helpful so those definitely give you a general idea of how do you even get started 
so now for anyone who wants to go in depth, we now have those books sort of on the recording as resources to come back to. But for the rest of us who are who are interested in just the broad takeaways, um, what are some of the cliff notes or some of the basic lessons that you took from these books? Um, I think the whole idea to see your art as a business just opens up its own um, part of my brain, I guess, that I didn't even, because I didn't have really have to do that as much with costume. It was very different. Um, I just, as a costume designer, it was actually, I didn't struggle finding work, to be honest. Um, so I didn't have to be so strategic with how do I get my name out there. And I think this books really start opening my eyes to if I want to actually make money with some sort of artwork that it has to be a business. It can't just be me doing like I see some people doing as a hobby. It can't just be me doing whenever I feel um, like it or if I get inspiration. It has to be, you know, timed and scheduled and treated completely as a business. And just that mindset really shifts for me, like, everything that I had to figure out from that point on. Right. And so on the one hand, there's thinking about it kind of like the way that you deal with your job where it's not a choice. It's you go to work. You go Mm -hmm. to work because that's your job. Um, Again, not to overshare sort of my journey, but something that I'm working through for myself with that mindset, though, is that when I think like that, there's no fun in it. You know, like if... If I tell myself, you know, like you have to, you have to record a podcast because that's mm-hmm. what you do, then there's an element of like sort of guilting myself into doing it or forcing myself into doing it. Mm-hmm. Um, and the truth is, is that if I was going to force myself to do something, there are so many more lucrative things I could make myself do. So. It feels like yes. if you're going to be an artist in any way, there's still you still have to keep that like the fun part still has to stay alive. I really think if you don't have an entrepreneur in you, you are better off getting a job and doing your art as a hobby on the side for your own pleasure. Because I really have come to realize that the amount of time I spend doing the art, it's much smaller than the part that the business takes, unfortunately. And luckily for me, I found that I actually do like the business side. Because if I didn't, I would definitely be searching for my third career at this point. And I think, especially because art, it's not an easy thing to make money with. It's not as easy as most other careers, just because of what the career is it's not people don't buy art because they need art people buy art because they can afford art because they want something else it's something extra it's something that the world doesn't it's not like you're selling food you're not selling something that people can give you the clear value of what you're giving so if you're not doing this and you enjoy the business side i definitely would say there's a lot of other careers you can spend your time on that will bring you a lot easier and faster and more money than art. And you can still do art as a hobby on your side just for fun. And that was definitely something that I wasn't aware of just because with costumes, I wasn't working for myself. I was working for something or 
it was either a production company or just being hired as a freelancer by a director. It didn't matter the business side. I was just getting hired to do my work. So even though there are some aspects that can help, like marketing yourself and having a nice portfolio, at the end of the day, you're not working for yourself. Somebody's paying you. Yeah, yeah. So, All, there's someone else is taking care of the like really ugly stuff. Exactly. And in the, if there's movies being made, there are going to be jobs. So right. that's actually a necessity for an industry. Art, even though there are um, products and advertising and whatever you're selling your products to, it's a very small industry that needs that. There are only so many packages of so many products. So it's a, it's a very hard industry, and I really don't want people to think that it's that easy because I still struggle with There's still a lot of things that I'm still figuring out, and I'm sure people that have been doing this for a long time will say the same thing. And how long, have, how long has this been your work for? So the day that I decided not to take the agent for costume design was, I believe, September of 2015 and since that day I've been calling myself an illustrator wow (laughs) great that's so three years yeah so I feel like I've changed so much too you know so it just feels like a lifetime ago oh yeah what are some of those changes I think I really have found in this past few years to really understand and figure out who I am and what I like because I think when I was working as a costume designer, people always, when I would tell them that that's what I did, people would come back with such a great reaction. Oh my God, that's what you do? This is awesome. Or like there's just nobody that I would say that I'm a costume designer that would have like, oh, that sucks. You know, everybody was so into me saying that, that I really attached myself to that identity and I felt like that's what was my value in the world. Like I was doing something cool and I didn't, that was even why I didn't want to let go in the beginning because I liked the reaction that people had when I said that that's what I did. And when I realized that I actually had to live my life for me and the things that actually bring me joy from example, being able to read a book or do yoga in the morning or be able to go to the gym or make a homemade meal or whatever, that that brought me more joy than seeing my name in a big screen just because it's cool. I think that whole, just changing my career really brought me, you know, a lot closer to actually where I want to be and what I want to do. So you take that you have this year and you decide that, you know, you can get paid for your drawings. But it doesn't sound like you were looking to become an artist in a corporate environment. It doesn't sound like you were approaching advertising agencies or anything like that. Is that correct? You were intentionally setting out on your own. I wasn't looking for a position in a company because mostly because I was living out of Europe, Pennsylvania, and those jobs are in big cities. And second, because I was so... One of the biggest problems that I had with costume was the lack of freedom that I really wanted to try something that it gave me freedom first. And if that didn't work out, I would adjust it then. And I gave myself that year to just give it a try, you know. And that year that I took um, to figure it out, my main focus was to try to build some sort of portfolio to show. And I decided to just give it a try with, different like materials like pencils and markers and watercolor just to see if I could create small 
portfolio. And the idea was I'm going to share this um, tasks on Instagram and see what people say and see the reaction and see if this is good enough to then start showing to potential client, which could be either some sort of art director that needs something for a, an editorial or a agency that does marketing or ads or anything from there. I never even got to make a plan because as soon as I started showing those tasks on Instagram, I started to get work. And this work came from a bunch of different directions that I had no idea those jobs even existed. I got to do coloring books or packaging and just private commissions for people that had special projects that they wanted to do as a gift. So just by me sharing the process of learning and testing the materials on Instagram, that before I even had a website or a portfolio, that got me started in a bunch of little jobs. So that pretty much set my career without me having to decide, oh, I'm just going to try to get work as, uh, I don't know, packaging illustrator or whatever. Um, and that kind of opened my mind to, oh, there's a lot of different options. All I need to do is just be open to the opportunities and see what I like to do more. And the more I did as the years went by, um, after then having my portfolio and everything else, the more I did, the more I'm starting to realize still now what I actually like to do. And I really do enjoy working for private people more than companies sometimes. Because with companies, again, it's the whole idea that you lose the freedom, you start to have to take in so much direction and they have so many specific things they need. The drawing has to be, you know, five by five, it needs to be in this angle, it needs to be like this, it needs to be this amount of colors, it needs to be... And that starts to become, for me, just a job. Well, yeah, that and also I, sounds like the design part has been taken out. Like someone else already designed it, and now much. they're just telling you what to do. Pretty much. And that's... And I get it why it works that way, because they have so many people to answer to, to create a packaging, there's, you know, there's so much that goes into when it, you're working for a big name company that needs to make a lot of money that when it gets to the point that it's passed it on to the artist, the decision making is pretty much all done. So I kind of started to feel like those weren't the projects that I was having the most fun on. So I think naturally I started going towards working for smaller companies and individuals that had special projects that I could work on and at the same time just selling the work that I was doing on the side as a personal project. Yeah, I, I do remember hearing you say on one of the other shows that a big most of your work is commissions. Yeah, right and now I would say that. And initially, those were coming in through Instagram. Is that still true? Or is there another way that you it. find or uh, solicit work? Instagram is still a huge part of Pinterest has also been very good to me because I think it's a very easy place for people to search images. And Etsy has also been very um, good. I used to have a shop on my own website and a shop in at, um, Etsy. And Etsy was bringing so much more 
uh, work that it was just it just became kind of pointless for me to have two separate shops and having to manage both then now I just link straight from my website to Etsy and people can just go to one place and it's it made my life a little easier now on the Instagram story the way you tell it is so magical you know it sounds a little fairy tale in terms of you know I just tried it and put it on Instagram and all of a sudden the work came in <laughs> I, know, it's, I hate even telling this story because now it was a long time ago too maybe things were different then yeah I mean that's I, <laughs> I'm not I'm not taking anything away from you I mean it's wonderful that it happened that way were there because if I look at your Instagram now it, I mean it, it's gorgeous and, and I can clearly see your I don't know your your eye in it the the colors uh, and the color design and the way that it's all coordinated is is one of the things that catches me most about your posts now. But also now I'm noticing a lot of your posts seem to be of you and lifestyle stuff and kind of less drawings. Yes, which I don't want to make sound like that's what I want. It's actually I want to incorporate more of actually my art more than myself. It's just. It's still a process that I'm still figuring out the amount of balance of how much work and how much of me has to be in there. Because if you scroll really back, maybe a year, you will see that it was just my work and there was no photos of me. <laughs> and, so and that's I'm, the point when the commission started coming in. Yeah, definitely. And I, I definitely need to work better on balancing both. But it was back then, it was just more of my work and there was almost nothing of me then. But is that important? I know, um, so Jolyn Polasek, who was an actress and now has a home organization business, she's a guest on the show, which was, you know, why I mentioned her by full name. I remember for her home organization business, Sage Organization and Design, she had somebody who was uh, like a social media expert. Take a look at her website. And the feedback that she got at the time was JoLynn is a big part of the product that it's not just getting your home organized, but it's your home organized by you. Mm -hmm. So the note was that it actually needed to include more photos of JoLynn and bring more um that she needed to actually come forward as a personality um, more than she was presenting at first. So, yeah, I think, um, sorry, I didn't want to cut you off. Oh, no, no, no. And so I guess I'm just curious how much of that is what you're doing and how much you feel like that's important that your clients who, even if they're in the market for a drawing, are connecting to you or if that's... I know. Do you think you do? You would be as successful if it were really just the work by itself? Yeah, it's funny because in the in the beginning when I was just figuring things out, I really had this idea that good art speaks for itself and that it sells itself. And the more I did and the more I researched and studied the business side, I've you know learned that that's so not true. That I had to start shifting my point of view and trying to adapt to the reality that it's not how it works people don't just buy art because art's good people buy art because of who was the artist and it's it's kind of an obvious thing but at the same time it was for some reason you would also think that if the art's good it should be enough and most artists even on instagram nowadays it's very easy to find just photos of their work and not actually of themselves and I started to realize that if I wanted to sell more and for higher price that who I was mattered just as much so that's why I started to 
incorporate more of who I am and the things that inspire me and the behind the scenes and not just the final piece. And that actually has helped me a lot. And I think to get better clients and more recognition to my actual work than if I was just posting my sketches because there are a lot of good artists out there. If you want to stand out, there's got to be the only thing that separates a good art to another good art who did it. So that's why I think my Instagram started to change a bit. And I think now I went too far to just me, mostly because I've been so busy with client work that are secrets that I can't share, that I've been running out of my work to share. (laughs) So now I'm like, I have to remember like, oh, I need to at least post old stuff, you know, because I can't just be me either. This this bringing yourself forward is something that I'm trying to do better for myself and really, really struggling with. Um, and so just Why? this is sorry, just and I think it's because we all of us as people are so multifaceted. Mm-hmm. There's so much there that trying to figure out, well, what do I include? What do I not include? And I think that it's also hard because we take ourselves for granted. You know, like I know me, mm-hmm. nothing that happened in my life is special to me because it happened to me. Mm-hmm. So <laughs> not knowing... Um, what makes you cool. <laughs> yeah, and it's really hard to be able to identify what makes you interesting um, and to sp- and also to not be annoying about it because I, al- yeah. you know, I know plenty of people that it just feels like it all feels a little too, look at me, look at me. So to find like to try to figure out what's interesting, but resonant and that's helpful to other people in some way. Um, Mm -hmm. How did you go through that process? Yeah, I think it's still still something that sometimes like some people say like, oh, you should talk more about being Brazilian. You should talk more that your past is a costume design. And I usually don't even bring those things up because I just find them so I don't like why does it matter where I'm from? You know what I mean? Like, right. everybody's from somewhere or like what does it matter what I used to do that that's doesn't make me a better artist now kind of thing right. but they are things that are different about me it's just not something that I want to be known for right um and that's why I try not to make them as the main thing on anywhere like I don't say that I used to do movies on my Instagram you know what I mean like if you go back you find out but it's right. not something that I want to make sure that like look at my stuff now and I'm only cool because I used to do that like you know what I mean like like what I'm doing currently but it's tricky to like know what to tell about you it's I still not even sure if I'm coming off of and saying what matters I really like Seth Godin who um oh you know him Big fan. Uh, so I've actually only heard. I want to read his books. Uh, at this point, I've really only listened to interviews with him. If you want to start, start with Purple Cow. I think was so far like my favorite. Seth Godin. He has this phrase, which I even, I even think he might be borrowing from somebody else, but it's about being a meaningful specific rather than a wandering generality, mm-hmm. and how you need to tell your story. But I know that telling a story, particularly like a biography is editing. You know, if you watch mm-hmm. a biopic of of an of an, an artist, let's say Johnny Cash, there's so much of his life that they didn't put in the movie. Mm-hmm. So that's something that I, I haven't figured out how to do yet is how to pick the important parts from a story where, you know, I know all of it, uh including the parts that wouldn't make it into the film. I think at least for me what I 
like to do is I just pick what I want to be known for. Like I try to imagine like when I die, what do I want people to remember me for kind of thing. And that's usually my fine line. And that's why saying that I'm from Brazil or that I used to do costumes or maybe that I am that I live in base of it. None of this stuff to me matters or I don't doesn't matter as much. Like I want people to say more about the things that I've want people to talk about and that's usually the stuff that I'll bring it up the most like I want people to remember me by being somebody organized and disciplined and um that has a classic style that that kind of thing like that works with watercolor and I try to avoid the things that I don't really care that people know about me to leave it off because they it's not that they won't know it's not like it's a secret it's just not something that I need to be bringing it up all the time and the things that I also think people can be inspired by. That makes sense. Yeah, that makes total sense. Like you can't be inspired by somebody being from somewhere, right? <laughs> like there's nothing you can do about it. I really love what you're saying about filtering things out that aren't inspiring to other people. So um, you've talked about, you know, things that you want to be known for sort of stylistically in terms of it being very classical and even the, the material. What are the takeaways that you're hoping to inspire people with? Yeah, I think the main thing for me that it's not even a, something I chose, it's just something that it's about me that I would like people to have more appreciation for. It's history. So that's usually why I'm naturally drawn towards things that look old or vintage or that has some sort of um, classic feel to it because I really think people don't appreciate the past as much and people are so especially nowadays everybody is looking so much to the future and new technologies and robots and ai and you know voice and all of that stuff and i think that's so much more exciting to most people than the past and for me so the opposite that i try to bring that as much as possible even if it's with my blog posts or my videos or my art or the things that I say, I think there's a lot to learn from the past. And I wish people were a little bit more nostalgic about it. Uh, so I think that's the biggest um, picture here. Oh, I really like that, that, that because your work does have a nostalgia to it. And so to have that really specific mission around history, like it's all it's a deepening understanding of your mm -hmm. manifesto, who you are, what you're about. And all of this is helping us again, relate to you, the creator, which as a, as a sneaky ulterior motive makes the makes that's the art more valuable. Not to say that's oh, why you're doing it, but that's it, I mean, that, that I is an upshot to do it that way it's just what it is it's everything we do it's part of a personal brand and even if we don't want it to make it like the things you tell your friends it's the same thing you tell the people online can you say that last I'm, part again i'm saying that independent if it's on purpose or not everything that we say or we do is part of our personal brand and it used to just be things we used to say it in person and nowadays we have the online world so now it's even too a bigger extent of ourselves but in the end of the day it's all part of who we are it makes a personal brand which makes whatever we do more valuable it used to just be called your reputation it used to just be about that and now your reputation became it's called nowadays personal brand but in the end of the day it's just who you are and it doesn't matter if you're saying on a blog or to a friend it all matters and it will all affect 
whatever you sell, whatever you do for a living too. How do you think about priorities? This is an experience that I have as an actor, which is there are so many different things involved Mm -hmm. with being an actor, whether it's, you know, taking a class that you're improving yourself as an artist, whether it's learning more monologues that you have a bigger, you know, um, portfolio for when you go into auditions, uh, if it's marketing, being on Instagram, if it's, you know, if I should be looking for a, a podcast person or posting on Pinterest, you know, any any of the myriad things um, that I know that you're doing or that or that any of us could be doing and that feeling haunted by all of the million things that you could do can make it really hard to choose one thing to actually do. Mm-hmm. And I guess I'm curious how you think about that because you do so much because you have such an active Instagram where you have a photographer taking pictures of you. You have a blog. You have commissions. Um, so when you're deciding what you're going to do with your day, um, how do you figure out what is important? Yeah. Um, my days are very structured. I know it could even sound crazy because I work for myself and I probably have more structure than if I worked for somebody else, but I'm very specific. For example, Monday through Thursday, I only work on client projects. I don't do any personal illustration and Fridays is my day to do a personal thing uh, which could be working on my portfolio or my website or taking photos or whatever that's my I consider like my free day and if there is a specific extra thing that I'm trying to do at that moment like write my book or whatever I have to do it on the weekends because I know that if I try to put on too much on the days that I have client work the client work will actually suffer and that's actually how I pay my bills so my on my wall, I have this glass board that has three things. One is short term, and then the other one is medium term and long term. And I try to do one task of each of those three things a day. So short term, meaning it's a client piece. Is something that's going to pay off the bills today? Is it something that I need to happen so I can continue to do what I do? Medium term meaning something that I would like to happen within in a year. So you could be saying, um, I want to get better clients, so I need to create a better portfolio. So then today I need to start working on that one extra piece. And then the long-term meaning, if my goal is not have any clients or just sell my own personal projects or whatever, then I try to do, maybe it's creating an email list Maybe it's creating a new page on the website. Maybe it's organizing um, my papers so I can, the next time that I'm going to draw, I know which paper to get. So having those three main categories every day, at least I know that I'm working towards my life today, my life tomorrow, and my life in 10 years, if that makes sense. Yeah, that does. That makes a lot of sense. Um, But it is, in the end, it's just what are the things that you know, again, that you want to be known for and those are the things that I try to put my goals towards. I want to be known by my books, by my art, and by the things i um, teaching people. So those are the things that I try to make it um, the main things. And everything else, if I want to all of a sudden learn how to crochet or if I want to, I don't know, learn how to face paint or whatever, it has to be on the weekends as a hobby. I can add more to uh, as a business because that's just 
starts to make you spread yourself too thin. We've only so far talked about your dream being, you know, of being an, an illustrator and doing a lot of commissions. So where do books come in? Um, so that's my life goal, I guess, is to create the best and the most amount of books that I can. And if that's going to be in art form or written form or both, especially when it comes to children's stories and things like that, uh, or even if it's going to be a self-help book, I don't know. But I have a list of books that I want to create already. So I'm definitely trying to, you know, try to public maybe one a year, if that's possible. So, um, so I don't, there's a lot of ideas in my head. The problem is always the time. Yeah. But that's so interesting that you're, I really like that they that you're so conscious of creating a legacy and uh, having a sort of a big long-term vision because just being an illustrator, a working illustrator who pays your bills, illustrating like that's, that's not enough for me. Wow. Cool. <laughs> I know it's kind of crazy and it's probably why I haven't had kids yet, but it's a big deal for me to just leave something behind and make like, I really think life is all about making the world a better place, you know, and that's how I can contribute so far that I figured out. So I really see that as a really important part. Right. And why books? Oh, because I really think books since I was very little always took me to, a different place and I really like the ability that they have to make you go to a different world and I think it all comes back to the nostalgia you know like it's I I want people to be able to feel that and um, I think books is the best way to because it especially books they're just uh, novels and things like that they really let people get into their imagination and there's so little things in life nowadays that allow you to do that everything is just given to us so easy that i really think books is still and it will always be um the best way to make people think what do you want to make people think about i want to make people think about the past and the things that actually are beautiful and important in the world because I really think people waste so much time nowadays with things that really don't matter and if I could help people take a step back and really realize that they don't need to take this much stress for things that really aren't important it would be awesome so you want to give people the big picture point of view on themselves I guess, which and I think their time. It's really what's lacking, right? Like people are so obsessed. Like people go crazy driving in the world because they just want to come home and they don't even know why they want to come home so fast. It's just a habit. And I really think people could use a little bit of that. <laughs> well, good luck. <laughs> I mean, that's so okay. noble. That's wonderful. Oh, it's not noble. It's just maybe too big of a goal, but. It's what keeps me going, I guess. If I had only to just pay the bills, I don't think I could do it. Right. Yeah, you need that grand vision that makes it all worth it. Yeah, or I'll probably be sleeping in like most people and be very lazy watching Netflix all night. <laughs> yeah. It's hard to just be motivated for the money because it's, in the end, it really doesn't matter. This The struggle around that that I have is on the one hand, I need to be working towards the grand vision. 
Uh, but on the other hand, it's also very possible that I'll get hit by a car before I get to realize the grand vision. And probably, but and so there needs to so having that balance of like, well, if I don't, I can't sacrifice everything for a grand vision that like there's yeah. a chance I'll get cancer and die before I get there. So then, what's the balance? Of like, it, well, if I'm, <laughs> as long as I'm going to be around, I want to be working towards this. But because there's a chance I might not always be around, I should also yep. like build in the time to like eat dessert and sleep in because, you know, it'll make this moment a little bit more valuable. Yeah, I, I really think it's just a balance. And that's why I say like I have those three things in the board because I really think I need to be working on the short term, the medium term, and the long term because. At the same time, you don't want it to actually make it to 80 and realize that you wasted it all and you didn't get to use your time to do the things that actually mattered to you. Right. But at the same time, you don't want to die tomorrow and not have enjoyed your life. So it's important, I think, to do both. And I think people either go one way or the other. They're either too unhealthy because they just want to enjoy today and they just want to do what's easy mm-hmm. or they're just to focus, for example, the people that create business make a ton of money and they never see their family. Right. Um, I do think there is a way to do both. It's just a matter of scheduling properly and remembering both. Yeah. And I think about that with the artists or, you know, like the actors who, you know, are working so hard to make it. Um, and you're like, well, you know, maybe if you keep working really hard, you're going to make it, but it, you, but you might not. Mm-hmm. And so how do you, which is a big point of this podcast, how do you enjoy it anyway? Mm-hmm. So that your, if your goal were to be famous, how do you keep putting yourself out there in the way that might get you there someday, but you can't invest all of your energy in that goal because it's outside of your control whether it happens or not. So yeah. how do you have a goal that's a little bit more in your control? And there's this uh, culture, I think it's from, I forgot the country, but it's called Hugh. I don't know if you've oh, yes. of- so I'm really into that stuff because I do think that's how you make every day great. You know what I mean? Without losing track of the big stuff. And Hugh, if is, if I remember correctly, it translates to something roughly to cozy. Yeah, something like that. Like you're taking the time to do the things that bring you joy on a daily basis, like your favorite cup of tea or, you know, you're petting your animal or going for a walk, taking a nap, whatever makes that day um a good day without having to it's not big things it's just like it's just more of a lifestyle for sure of like how can i make bring joy to my day on things like that and i think it's from i forgot maybe it's denmark or something it's a country that is very cold and that's how they're able to go through the cold months without feeling depressed i guess yeah it's it's like cultivating the thing that gives you a warm fuzzy feeling Mm-hmm. so i think that's uh, good balance <laughs> yeah totally well i want to move towards just telling people where they can find you where can we find all things you all things me um i guess just go to my website which is just brunamabs.com and you can probably find a link for everything else because nowadays i feel like we have an account on anything and everything but the website will guide you pretty much everything you can possibly find and too much probably that you probably ever need to find out about me right well thank you so much for being on the show thank you so much for having me i really hope this helps anyone in anything i don't know if you did Uh or if it was too much information but 
I really hope it did. I'm sure it did. Hey guys, uh, just a couple quick things before you go. Uh, first off, thank you so much for listening. Uh, Stop Waiting Tables is a brand new show, so it means the world that you're here and that you've listened all the way to the end. So, thank you. Uh, You can find out more about today's guest and check out a full list of all of the episodes that I've recorded on my website, www.alexmcurtis.com slash podcast. Also, if you live in the New York area, feel free to pop by and say hello. Uh, I have a one-man show called Chalk, a silent comedy. That's chalk like you draw on a chalkboard, chalk. Uh, And that happens every month in the East Village at the Crane Theater. And if you're interested in coming to check that out, it's a really playful, imaginative show. And all the details about that are on my website as well. Um, Again, I'm Alex Curtis, and this is Stop Waiting Tables. Happy listening, and until next time. Check, please.